Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am the host of the week, Thomas Aylott. Hello. And on the panel, we have Charles Wood. Hey, folks. And our guest today is TJ Van Tull. Say hi, everybody. Hey, how's it going? Springboard offers the first online, self-paced software engineering bootcamp with a job guarantee. Become a software engineer or get your money back. You'll be mentored by senior software engineer or technical leader who has worked at companies like Microsoft, Intuit, and Amazon. Springboard has helped graduates increase their salary by an average $25,000 a year. Make a risk-free investment in yourself and apply now. For a limited time, use the code JABBER, unique to our podcast listeners, to get $500 off the course. That's springboard.com. So the topic that we were talking about is kind of UI component libraries. There are kind of a million free options, but there are also a, a few paid options, which some people might not know about. And can, people can tend to have strong opinions about things without really looking into them too much. What do you know about this topic? Yeah, so just a little bit about me. I am a developer advocate for Progress, and I work on a product called Kendo React, which is a set of premium components for React. And so that's what I do for my day job. I've also, though, spent a large portion of my career working on free and open source tools as well. So I was involved with the NativeScript project for five years. I was actually a member of the jQuery and jQuery UI teams. Oh, cool. Uh, so some work, did some work on some open source free stuff and worked for a lot of companies that you know, made free and open source tools a part of their sort of day-to-day development. And for me, the, what I really like about this topic is it just sort of fascinates me because I find, and you guys can let me know if you agree with this, that front-end developers are extremely hesitant to even consider paying for software, which I sort of get, like, I am very much guilty of that mentality as well. But from an economics perspective, it's just kind of weird. Like, it's a hard thing to explain to, like, someone that works in another industry that, like, you know, software developers, we are in general fairly well-paid individuals. We work for (laughs) large companies. There's lots Mm -hmm. of money being thrown around. And to try to explain to someone that like, oh yeah, we all this money is involved in everything we do, but yet almost every all the tools that we use to do our job, they're almost all free. Like we code in VS Code, which is free. And then we use React, which is free. And we get these UI components, which are free. It's just sort of, it's weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like coming from the design background, I started as a designer back in the 90s. And, you know, it was like $1,500 a year. Well, I guess upgrade prices for like all the Adobe software. And now it's kind of cheaper because you can get it monthly and stuff. But, you know, all design tools have always been not free. So it's it's a totally different universe. Yeah. And yeah. I'd say the same thing too, from like a, a Java and like a .NET world as well. Like it, when I coded Java apps, Java apps, you paid money for things. You paid money for a lot of the IDEs you used, a lot of the the tooling that you used, it was sort of an expectation. And there's a similar phenomenon in the .NET, the Microsoft world as well. Yeah, I think it's funny too, because my perspective on this has changed over the years. Initially, as a developer, even when I was working for a corporation, I never, ever, ever would have recommended that they buy, you know, a component library or tools or, you know, subscribe for this, that or the other, right? It's like, well, we can set that up. But now that I'm actually running the company and I'm looking at what my people spend their time on, 
and what the trade-offs are, now I give it a much more serious look, right? And so it's like, oh, I can spend 10 bucks a month and have this problem solved. Well, I can't pay any of my people that little to get that problem solved. So I'm going to spend it on that, right? And so, you know, we're talking about, do I pay for this or not? And yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it and going, mm, you know, I totally pay for that. Like I've also bought, I'm okay at design, but my design is kind of like passable. You can figure out where the buttons are kind of passable and it doesn't look horrid. But yeah, I'll, I'll go like I go use Theme Forest all the time and I'll buy, a, you know, a web layout or I've also bought a couple things off Code Canyon. Like I wanted, I, I'm still working on it, but I wanted to build like an audio player app, right? And so I went and bought a video player template off of Code Canyon for like 40 or 50 bucks. And the reason is, is because it, it saved me a crap ton of time and it's well worth the money. So yeah, I'm much more open to it now as a business person than I ever was as a developer. I think partly it's, it's to do with, with how you get started. Like the, the reason why I got into the web instead of real programming is because it was $40 for the book on how to, to write C. Mm-hmm. in order to even get a compiler. So I couldn't even start until I paid money. Whereas with the yeah. web, everything was free. You know, I fired up notepad.exe on Windows 3.11 and sweet, it's all free. <laughs> oh, the good old days. Yeah, and I think like part of it too is like, it's sort of the mentality of the web. And it's also that like as developers, we always think we can build things ourselves and and do things ourselves as well. Like I think there's a rite of passage for pretty much every web developer when they try to build their own date picker for the first time, right? Like I think <laughs> everybody's went through this experience. And the thing is too, it, it does become like almost like a time value sort of situation because you can build your own date picker, for example, right? Like you can do it. And sometimes it's a valuable experience, but you then start to have to question, well, is this the best use of my time? Is this the best use of my effort? If if it's for learning, that's great. But if it's for company time and, and whether you're making the best use of that, that sort of changes the equation and how you approach this. It's also to do with like, who's the decision maker here and who, who cares? Because if I'm the decision maker, I'm going to make the decision that's best for whatever I'm optimizing for. And if I'm optimizing for my own happiness and my own interest, I'm going to you know, choose to spend my time wherever I feel like it. A lot of employees can easily just convince management of whatever they want because management doesn't know. Also, lots of times, if you're an individual developer, you feel like you are being paid to make the web, your, your apps, right? And so it's sort of, in a way, weird to, to go to your boss and say, I want to spend money to, to get these things that are kind of what I'm supposed to be doing, right? Like I'm the one that's supposed to be building these UI components building up my apps. So it feels a little bit weird to say, oh, I need to actually get you to pay money to to get this. And lots of times too, there's red tape involved, right? Like even though there's lots of money being thrown around in these organizations, lots of times there's some really arcane approval process that you have to go through to get even simple purchases made. And so lots of people just want to avoid that hassle altogether. That's a good point. Yeah, and just want to say, screw it. I'll just use make the best of what I can find out there for free because I just don't want to deal with any of that. I used to work for a company called Sencha that had Sencha Touch and ExtJS, and this was like literally a decade ago. Now, things have changed a lot in the industry since then, 
And before I joined that company, like I, I never would have considered any kind of for pay thing. But I, I think a lot of that for me personally was to do with my kind of, uh, I was focused more on myself than I was on the, the needs of the business, you know, optimizing for how I wanted to spend my time and what was an interesting problem for me to solve versus solving the product needs for the user and <laughs> no i and it's funny cuz i have almost the exact same perspective so around that time i was working on jquery apps and so i gravitated towards jquery and jquery ui and ended up getting involved with jquery ui because i was again sort of just that's what i found fun to work on and do and jQuery UI was sort of the biggest name out there. It was open source. There was big community around it. So it, it made a lot of sense. And like, for example, Sencha was around at the time. Uh, Kendo UI had jQuery components at the time. Never even crossed my mind to even consider these things. Even to the point where like when you do Google searches for these UI components, I think one thing that a lot of us naturally do is we just include free in the search term, right? Like we we sort of instinctively gravitate towards um, looking for something that's free just because it's going to be easier to get started with, easier to find, and that sort of thing as well. Actually, I, I, when I, I think about it, it was a little bit before that, I was, I was working at this startup who shall remain nameless. We were building really complex UI using Mutools. And oh, yeah. Mutools was great, but it was just not engineered to handle long-running web applications. It was more, you know, in the, the jQuery sense. And so we were building something that was kind of equivalent to jQuery UI. So like a big, not big, but a, a UI-centered thing with a whole UI, UI component suite for the business. And I realized that we're spending all this time and energy building all this UI stuff, but the, the company, the purpose of the company was big data stuff. It didn't really need to have their own unique UI kit. So I thought for this for this project, it actually made more sense to just take Dojo and use Dojo, even though I was a Mootools guy and they hired me because I was a Mootools person. And for this product, it was like Dojo made a lot more sense. I didn't know about any for pay options at the time or I would have considered those. And it was after that that I, you know, it kind of opened my mind up to, you know, some product needs, you really need to just focus on building the product and just use things off the shelf that you can trust. Yeah. And I think like back to like why the economics of the open source world are so weird. It's that lots of times these, these components or these tools that we find, there's sort of like some nebulous individual or organization behind them. And lots of times that's fine. I mean, there's been plenty of successful, you know, jQuery plugins that have lasted over time and, you know, React components, Angular components, these other things as well. It sort of depends on your needs. If you're writing something that's sort of a one-off thing that you're not going to be maintaining for a long time, then it is what it is, right? You don't really have to care too much about that. But if you're writing something that you do intend to be around for the long haul, but it makes a difference whether those things are going to be around, going to be updated, whether that one person is just going to completely disappear from the project, updated right. versions and all of those sorts of things. Yeah, a friend of mine just had a, a situation where there was somebody on the team that had built some, some part of the infrastructure that was an important part of the infrastructure, but then the developer literally died. And then there was, but 
they, the company didn't have any backups of his code and they didn't know his password. So there's like literally no way to get to maintain this thing. So they're having to rewrite it from scratch. And that's like the, the worst case scenario. Yeah, wow. That's, oh, yep. Yeah. There's no recourse for that. Yeah. I mean, just, I, yeah, I'm flummoxed. So like, there, there are so many issues where the, the, the length of stay at a company People will leave for any, a variety of reasons. That's the most unexpected reason to leave. But you got to watch out for the long-term ownership and maintenance of everything that we build. And some of these UI components, we kind of we kind of underestimate the the long-term maintenance needs of them, especially when you consider uh, internationalization and accessibility and different browsers and mobile issues. And then now dark mode, like, oh, great. And like rewrite everything. <laughs> As we've been talking about, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons why the free and open source are, are really compelling, even beyond what we've just talked about. Part of it too, like, and I wonder if you can, if this is also true with your experience with Sencha, but one of the things we struggle with over in Kendo is that because a lot the Kendo uh, user base is more of a paid user base, it's hard to build as big of a community as you can build with something like a free tool where things are being distributed for free. And so as such, you'll find like if you're using a free and open source tool, it's going to be easier if you do run into these issues to find some random Stack Overflow thread or some random forum post or some, some Google post for other people that ran into the same problems. Because for our tools, like we have that support and that's one of the things that people pay us for is for that ability to, to reach out and ha- have us help them solve their problems. But that information isn't public. I mean, people are paying to have that sort of private chat. And so one struggle for us is that a lot of that, those, those sort of support resources that free and open source things sort of have readily available sort of built into the way that they work are sort of hidden from view with something that becomes paid. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a co- complex spectrum of things. It's like if you're a business and you're, you, you, you can only afford to invest so much engineering resources into your product and you need some stuff and like you can't afford to just hope that some random do-gooder has volunteered some information to help. But on the other hand, if you pick something that's just like, that's really, really well supported today, like material design, like that's kind of the default these days. If you pick that, you, you're pretty much guaranteed that as long as it's relevant and popular, there's going to be a lot of helpful resources. If the, you know, the business doesn't want to take that risk, they can choose to just pay somebody to help. Having somebody available that actually knows it and can just you have absolute certainty that this money equals this problem solved. It depends on the business needs, really. But you're, you're absolutely right. That is the, the major advantage of the open source stuff is that you can tinker with it yourself, you have complete freedom. But when it comes to help resources, it's kind of like there's a whole spectrum of, of good and bad. <laughs> yeah, and then some of the issues too also come with trying to use these things together. So for example, like this, this reminds me very much of the jQuery days as well too, where you'd need like seven or eight different jQuery plugins, right? Because you need your, your dropdown, you're going to need your, your dialogue, you're going to need all these things, but you're pulling them from like eight or 10 or who knows how many disparate places across the internet. And then you start to run into issues. Well, okay, they, these apply def- default styles that look a little bit different or <laughs> yeah. they, 
they work a little bit different or they're depending on different versions of jQuery or different versions of React. Or like all of a sudden my package.json is blowing up because they're pulling in all these like transitive dependencies or weird NPM things. And like you start to almost have like a, you, you have this dependency maintenance problem because you're pulling in things from such a wide variety of places. Yeah, absolutely. And where I see it the most is with the CSS. Is Like back in the Mutuals days, it was the exact same thing. It was like somebody would make a, a really useful Mutuals component and, and share it. And it would be amazing and, and so good at what it does, but it just didn't really mesh well with other components on the same page because there was just no overarching library of well-maintained components. It was just kind of a free-for-all of a bunch of individually well-maintained. Yeah, and it's not, it's not like React or Angular, really any framework out there. I mean, with React, I think this is almost even more true because there's so many ways of doing things with yeah. React because not only is like CSS different in terms of the styles, but who knows how the component is even approaching CSS in the first place, right? They could be using... Yeah. I mean, we could list seven or eight different things in here. They could have their CSS and JavaScript or which almost even sort of amplifies the the problem of how you might need to customize that thing because you might have to dig into almost in, in some cases the implementation of how they're actually applying these styles and these classes so that you can customize them to be what you want them to be. Yeah, I, I really like things like uh, Reach UI where it's, it's kind of a component library, but it's just like, here's the, the skeleton of a component library and, you know, bring your own styles. Yeah, I think lightweight stuff like that is, is a lot easier to make that sort of, uh, sort of plug and play thing work because it's not super uh, opinionated. Yeah, but there's just not that much stuff like that out there, unfortunately. Well, one other thing, I mean, you were talking about jQuery a second ago, and I wanted to chime in with this is that I'd pull in jQuery plugins and some of them would conflict with each other. And yeah. so, you know, I can see that with even even if you pull everything in and do everything the reach UI way, I mean, you know, if there's namespacing or other issues, you know, I could foresee possibilities even there of potentially clobbering each other. Yeah, that's one nice thing about pulling in one package that has it all in it. And, you know, yeah, you've got the bootstraps out there that kind of do that as well. But yeah, you get you kind of get that uh, nice feel where it's like, look, none of this is going to be fighting with it the others and I don't have to go and put it in some kind of compatibility mode to make it work. Well, and lots of times too, those are the worst things to debug ever it, when like suddenly subtly step on each other's toes in a non-obvious way. Well, and none of it's your code, right? I mean, even the bad code that I've written is hard enough to debug, <laughs> but I can kind of rack my brain and say, okay, what did I do here? <laughs> but with those, I mean, I'm diving into stuff that I haven't even seen. And if, I, if it's been run through some kind of like uh, obfuscator or compiler or something like that, good luck. Yeah. That's kind of the advantage of, of Android versus iOS for, for me. It was like developing for iOS was, was good in so many ways. But once you have an issue where you need to like dive into like the implementation of how this component is actually built, it's like, sorry, black box. You're not allowed to look at the code. You just have to hope that the documentation is accurate. Versus Android, where you could just like, well, it's all open source. You can just, you can actually fork this native component and ship your own copy of it if you really, really wanted to. And Facebook does a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think too, like that gets it. The problem gets exacerbated the more complex the thing is that you're doing. 
So exactly. if, you're, if you're using a simple component, like if you have, I, I don't know, like a, a button component that you find and something goes a little bit wrong or it doesn't look exactly how you want it to, there's a good chance you can probably get in there, tinker, hack with either some JavaScript or CSS and sort of make it do what you want to do. The source code is probably not going to be too complex. But as you move into things that are like drop-down lists and then dialogues, or then if you really step it up and go into like, we intended, we have like fully-fledged calendar scheduling solutions, we have grids, we have charts, we have graphs. If something goes wrong in there, yes, as a developer, there probably is a way that if you spend enough time and effort that you sort of could figure it out, but it's going to be a lot harder. So I yeah. remember a company I worked at, a, a hosting company back several years ago, we had tons of grids because hosting, di- hosting just has a lot of data, a lot of data that you want your users to see. And so we found some, I, I can't even remember the name of it now, but some free jQuery uh, grid solution. This would probably be like eight or nine years ago at this point. And the thing worked... I think I played with the same exact one. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the name, but... It worked and it was free. So in a sense, like we did get value out of it. But that thing, we plugged it into like everything we did, right? Every grid on this this site was using this. And it was just an absolute arcane mess. And anytime you wanted to get this thing, we, we tried to upgrade it and like the upgrade failed. So we used whatever version we started with, just stayed there oh, for, no. for perpetuity because we we had certain functionality we liked that it did. And then when we tried to upgrade it, it broke. And it broke in a way that like we spent days trying to figure this out and eventually just said, you know what, we're just, just getting rid of it because we just couldn't figure out what we needed to do to, to get around that. So as complexity rises, the, the difficulty of sort of being able to get in and tinker and do something that make a change that you want or need for your app or your company just gets that much harder. I'm going to guess that happens more often than you think. I guess, it, I mean, it's all related to, you know, the risk slash reward slash investment and costs analysis of, you know, we only have so much budget and we only have so much time budget. Like people forget the, the kind of the long tail of businesses because we work in tech, we, we work for tech companies and we're usually talking about tech oriented companies, but every, every single company has tech now, every company. Like my buddy works at a place that does like insurance for I don't even I don't even know what, and they can't they will never be able to afford a senior software engineer that has the capabilities debugging some of these issues, and so like what what do they do if they're like they're they're kind of stuck in a position where they can't choose certain libraries because there's just no way in a million years that they would be able to to solve any issues themselves. Because you know the engineers that they can afford are mostly focused on the the back end and building out products and don't have the time to invest in debugging like the micro details of an individual component library incompatibly issue. Yeah, it really is a spectrum because you could take that on one end, and then if you move to the flip other end, like say you are working on a UI for Facebook.com, for example. So there you have highly paid engineers and you have a site where it really makes sense to build everything custom exact for your needs because you have the you have the resources all those little details are going to matter a ton you know every kilobyte of code that you ship matters and so you need to optimize that but the thing is you 
you listening to this are probably not working on the facebook.com homepage and you might not be working in a <laughs> tiny little shop either. Chances are, I think most people work somewhere in between that where the mm-hmm. decision is a little more uh, gray in terms of where the value proposition is for you. When I'm building a new product, G2i is the company that I call on to help me find a developer who can build the first version. G2i is a hiring platform run by engineers that matches you with React, React Native, GraphQL, and mobile engineers who you can trust. Whether you are a new company building your first product or an established company that wants additional engineering help, G2i has the talent you need to accomplish your goals. Go to devchat.tv slash G2i to learn more about what G2i has to offer. In my experience, G2i has linked up with experienced developers that can fit my budget, and the G2i staff are friendly and easy to work with. They know how product development works and can help you find the perfect engineer for your stack. Go to devchat.tv slash G2i to learn more about G2i. One thing that I've seen... Uh, people make the mistake is they they make a short-term decision for themselves thinking that I'm going to be at this company forever. And then two years later, they're sudden, they've built themselves up into a senior software engineer. They have way more options than they ever considered. And now they have the prospect of, oh crap, if I leave this place, I'm leaving them in the lurch with no way to maintain any of the stuff that I just built over the past two years. So what am I going to be a jerk and just abandon them to their face? Sorry, guys. Yeah. Shouldn't have let me make all those awesome decisions. <laughs> I, I did that once, and uh, it was much easier that my boss was a jerk. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Well, it's um, always like the previous developer is all, was always the worst, right? <laughs> always. <laughs> that, that previous developer was always me, folks. You can send me your hate mail now. No, oh, honestly, dude, though. Stories. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing that I'm curious, you know, as we're talking through this is, how do you begin to make this decision, right? How do you begin to evaluate, okay, these are the free options, these are the paid options, these are the, you know, maybe they're a freemium option, right? Where it's, you know, use this much of it for free and then, you know, and then pony up if you want these other features. How do you start to evaluate that and decide whether or not it's worth paying for or maintaining yourself or, you know, whatever there is in between? So there's a couple different ways you can approach this. I think The first question I like to ask is whether you are building apps that you believe are going to stick around for a long time. So if you're building an app for, uh, say, a startup, and what's most important to you is that you get just off the ground, up and running as fast as humanly possible, you probably don't want to get tied up into looking into into paid tools. You just want to get whatever's free, whatever's out there, whatever can help you sort of beta test this stuff as quickly as possible. But sort of on the flip end of things, if you're building apps for like an industry, like you're in banking or insurance or, or government, you're looking for something that you need to be to stick around for a while, to be updated over time, to have support when you need it, uh, for these things to be robust, for them to meet accessibility guidelines, those sorts of things as well. That's where paid solutions start to make a bit more sense. And I think the other thing I'd add too is that Paid components really only make sense when free components aren't solving your problems. So if you're using free stuff and you're not hitting any of these issues that we've discussed here, you found something that works for you, it's, it's great, it's solving all your needs, then you know, more power to you. I mean, makes sense to use free things when they're available. I think I'd only consider looking pay, at paid stuff if they are solving issues that you are having. So if you have hit these issues with just incompatibility issues between these different plugins or components, or you can't find a free option that does something you need. Say you need like a really good grid, it's important to your business, you need a really good calendar or scheduler, and you can't find a free one that sort of meets your needs. That's sort of the time I look out and just consider, you know, at least 
bootstrap, test out a few uh, paid solutions and see if they can solve your problems better. Yeah. So I guess the, like the, the real problem starts out by, by really having a clear vision of what, what it is you're trying to build and what risks you're, you're comfortable with. As like whoever is the owner of the product at your company has to be the one that makes the decisions. And as the tech people, it's our job to, to make sure that they have the, the clear information to make the, the product decisions of like, well, if you make this design choice with the product, it's going to, you know, explode the complexity by however much. And, you know, the product people don't care how that works. But like, if you go with this thing, we're going to have to, you know, pour a lot of either time, money, energy, something into the technical solution versus if you choose this, it's like easy. Yeah. One other thing I do have to point out is that at certain levels with some of these paid things, there's just a certain amount of peace of mind and time saved in a lot of instances if you can just pick up a phone and call somebody. Yep. So with some of the paid solutions, I mean, the freemium ones, usually you're paying for extra features. You know, you can probably get a plan where you have a phone number for somebody. But with a lot of the other paid solutions, I'm pretty sure Kendall React has this option, right? Where you have people you can call up and get help. It does. And to be honest with you, that's a lot, a big chunk of why people pay us is because they want to know that if they run into some weird situation, it might be one of these situations we talked about where the previous people that implemented this originally are gone, or maybe like they have some important feature and some deadline, you know, they can pay us for guaranteed responses to help them through those problems. And so that's a big part of why people pay and reach out. Certainty is worth money. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that you've also got, they've got an incentive now to, to take care of you. Right. And so, yeah, if you've got some wacky need that, you know, they think they can take care of for you, then they may add it to the library for you. Yeah. And that comes up too, in terms of like, we listen to our entire community to develop roadmap features, but obviously the people that are paying us and have these, these deals with us are going to be the ones that help drive the roadmap. Yeah, definitely. Because you, you go where the needs are. You go. Another, another consideration is as an individual developer, you need to be careful of your own career path. I remember back in the day, I, I got really excited about ActionScript because it felt like, you know, for Flash development and stuff. And it, it just felt like living in the future with all of the, the technical abilities you could do. As, as an individual person, I was so excited about it. But just like really thinking about the, the industry and and the longevity of that technology. Personally, I, I decided that, that it was a scary thing to to allow myself to love because I was afraid that it was going to become irrelevant soon. And you know, it ended up I was right. Dang you, Steve Jobs. <laughs> nah, it was the right call. But, um, <laughs> but you um, killed Thomas's love. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people feel that way with with some proprietary stuff. Or like, you know, Sencha and Kendo and, and things that it feels like it, you might be kind of pigeonholing yourself of, like if you have Java on your resume, everybody thinks, oh, it's that, you know, a Java kind of person versus if you have React on your resume, like, oh, you're a React kind of person. So it can kind of subtly influence you to avoid certain options that <laughs> might actually be better for the particular company you happen to randomly be working for at the time. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. And in fact, like, I, I mean, I'm probably here today because I worked on jQuery UI, which helped me get the job that I work at, right? So there is some absolute benefit of using well-established things because it makes you 
more marketable. And so that that becomes part of the the whole conversation, the whole like time value, the, the sort of weighing the scales, it becomes a factor in that. I will say that one thing I would make sure to, if you are looking into premium tools is to evaluate which ones sort of stay true to the things that you know. So for example, for React components, they should feel like React components because you still are using those sort of React skill sets, those things that are marketable or usable when you're using React. You don't want to use something that feels like it's something that's completely outside of the ecosystem that you're used to using. Uh, For example, I know that when React uh, first became, started to really blow up, a lot of the first component offerings out there were really just jQuery wrappers because a lot of these companies, these big vendors, they had giant solutions that were already built with jQuery and they wanted to appeal to React developers. So what they did is that you would take those components and just sort of put a React little API, but under the hood, it was doing jQuery under the hood, which is, I mean, it kind of worked, but it was also pretty hacky and sketchy. <laughs> so, and in fact, we did that. The very first versions of the React components we, we built were built off of jQuery because it's like, hey, we already have these, these jQuery components. But what we have now is built fully based off React. They're native React components. And so, oh, that's awesome. so you at least still get the ability to like tinker and customize and work with the React skills that you already have. And so I think those sort of things do matter because I, I agree with your point that like there is value in using the things that everybody else is using. I mean, that's one of the reasons people do React a lot as yeah. well. And, and that's one of the things that I had a, a problem with with Essentia is that it was like, it was built off like a weird version of YUI, you know, the Yahoo user interface stuff that was like, it was like a kind of a, a, a fork of Dojo from like a decade previous. And it was like, it was weird. Yeah. But- and I, I think too, like really, I was fairly convol- convoluted in how I explained that. But if premium solutions are bad, you shouldn't use them. Right? Absolutely. So just, yeah. because, just because they're paid does not mean they are good. And you are paying for value. So in fact, you should hold premium solutions really to a higher standard because you are paying money for them. So if you evaluate them and they are not doing what you want, then why are you bothering? Absolutely. I I think it's interesting, though, that you brought up what it's doing under the hood because in a lot of cases, I mean, I just want the API to feel natural, right? I put these components in the same way I put all of my other React components in. But then, yeah, when we're talking about what we can tree shake out of things, what we can use or not use and things like that, then we start looking at, yeah, oh, this is using jQuery under the hood. Well, it turns out that the DOM APIs have stabilized to the point where we don't have to use jQuery anymore. Yep. So, you know, we can just use the standard DOM APIs, which is sort of the approach that React has taken. I mean, there are some nuances to that and we can argue about the specifics. But mostly that's the direction that it's gone in. And so if it's doing it the same way that I'm doing it, then if I do have to dive in and debug it, then I can see this issue come up and go, oh, I know what that means too, even though it's not a specific thing to react or to what I'm doing. Yeah, but I, I think that back to you know, the, like the, the concern about your career, what, what's great is that you know, since things are so mature, that like Kendo React in particular and a bunch of other, uh, I don't know what else is out there. This stuff is actually using React. So you don't have to worry about putting, you know, essentially UI or whatever on your uh, resume because it's like, 
I know React and I have this many years of experience working with React. You just happen to be using the Kendo React components, but that doesn't matter. It's still React. Yep, exactly. You keep bringing up Sencha and, e- and XJS and work the contract in that. <laughs> I didn't love it. Uh, so. I uh, Don't blame me. I did my best <laughs> to, to fix the bugs that I found. <laughs> oh, I'm... I'm I'm not going to complain too much about it. I mean, yeah, the what? approach didn't take off, so I, I don't have to use it for anything. So I don't at this point, but yeah. What I absolutely loved about Sencha, though, to give them some credit, is that because they, they had different kind of... There was a different risk-reward incentive kind of mix based on what customers they were trying to, to cater to. They, they supported things that no, no sane open-source developer in, in a million years would ever consider. For example... They had pixel-perfect UI that they tested with their own homegrown pixel testing solution that worked in IE5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. <laughs> Not just standards mode, also quirks mode. Like, who, who would wish such horror <laughs> upon yourself? And I got the joy of fixing some of these bugs which is probably some of the most fun I've had in my entire life. <laughs> like we, at one point, we, we even contracted with one of the original engineers who worked at Microsoft on Internet Explorer 6 to figure out like, what is going on with some of these like, bugs that we found. And he explained it. It was like they were busy. They were, like, it, was, it was a Friday. They had to go. It's like, ah, ship it. We'll fix it in the next release. And the next release never came. So like that explains that if they were just being humans, living their lives. So, I, have so many I, I guess stories. one of the other questions that I have, TJ, is what kind of pricing have you seen for some of the paid options? Because I mean, I, I think I've seen everything from, you know, a couple hundred dollars all the way up to a couple thousand dollars. It really depends on what you're getting. So for example, you can pay for individual components from some vendors. You can pay for an entire suite. So even with Kendo, things are a little bit more complex because you're paying for the entire suite and you're also paying for support as well. But just to give you a number, let me make sure. I think I'll get in trouble if I say the wrong number. So let me, let me look up. Just don't. Just don't say that. Just don't, don't say a number. We'll just, we'll just, just go to the website. <laughs> yes. So according to the Kendo React website, Kendo React is $899 per developer and it's a perpetual license. So what that actually means is for $900 per developer, you basically get the ability to use Kendo React in your applications. We don't say like if when that sort of year expires, you can still use Kendo React. Basically, you're paying for support and also updates. So we don't say once you're, if your license expires, you don't have to like rip Kind of react out, out of your applications. You can keep using it, but if you want the updates, you have to subscribe again. I mean, that makes sense. And yeah, I've seen enough. things like, so that's our pricing. And I think a lot of other um, options out there are different things. There's also like an entire industry, which is probably out of scope of what we're going to talk about today, but you can get even get into like the low code, no code type solutions, which are not necessarily developer focused, but more towards like helping you develop the entire UI of an app. And those things can be quite expensive. Like th- those can easily get into like five and six figure numbers. But those are interesting though. Like I think we, we should do a se- separate show on those one day if they, we can find any that are React oriented. Because it's kind of like the, uh, we're living in the future. There's a whole spectrum of, of 
who is allowed to create the future? Is it only the people that happen to have these particular skills or, you know, are there off the shelf options that you can buy? You know, I I love the diversity. And this is something that we've, I mean, we've had tons of product discussions internally about this space too. And I think where the line is there is, so a lot of component suites and for example, Kendo React are still aimed at the developer. We, the, the target audience is professional developers and we're trying to make them more productive. I think once you cross that line and go into like the low code, no code, your target is really no longer developers, but you're trying to target people that want to be developers or like have somewhat of a skill set, but want to be able to make apps based off some knowledge, but uh, need more help getting there. And so I think that's why these things tend to be a little bit more enterprise focused because they're going at companies that are trying to, in lots of cases, not hire developers and hire other people to help build apps. It's hard. I mean, yep. how do you hire developers these days? They're, they're already hired somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, and they cost a lot of money. So You buy a nicer ping pong table than the place down the street. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Yeah, because a lot Sorry. of these businesses have dress codes and they expect you to show up. I know. It's, like, I, a specific time. My first job out of college, I was required to wear a, a shirt and tie and dress pants every day. Wow. And yeah, it was quite something. So I totally got dressed up every day to go sit in front of a computer and create hours. <laughs> it's like IBM in the 70s, yeah. just like the skinny black tie. Yeah. <laughs> he was on a date with his Mac every day. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at a place, the same place that I wound up leaving because my boss was a jerk. Better at all the, about that. You don't know anything about that. I <laughs> got it. Yeah. One of the guys, he had to go pick up his kids from school at like three o'clock. And so he would show up at like six or seven in the morning and he'd work until three and then he'd take off. That's well, an awesome schedule. Yeah. But my boss, uh, the CEO, his schedule was I'll roll out of bed around 10. I'll wander around until I decide to get lunch and then I'll go hit the golf course and then I'll show up around 3.30 at the office and see if anybody needs anything. That's also an epic schedule. <laughs> and so the you know he'd come in and the other guy would be gone almost all the time that the CEO was in the office. And so at a certain point, I was a team lead. At a certain point, the, the CEO comes in and goes, um, you've got to fire. You've got to fire him. I almost said his name. You've got to fire him. And I looked at my <laughs> boss and I said, why? And he said, he's never here. I'm not going to pay somebody who's never here. And I'm like, no, he's never here when you're here. And I had to explain that to him. And of course, he came back to me two weeks later and said, you've got to fire him. <laughs> but But, you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting just to see how the, the differences are. And it's also interesting to me how companies that approach all of these different problems in similar ways will approach this problem in a lot of the same ways. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's amazing kind of the diversity of, of companies. I mean, it's basically, anybody who wants to do anything at all in the world these days needs some tech to do it one way or the other. Yep. So you either go, you either pay highly priced developers to build something really custom, or maybe like then the middle becomes, well, maybe you buy a few things here or there to help your developers be more productive, all the way to you try to make something work without developers and you build something, some tool that lets you sort of build apps without that development knowledge. So none of those strategies are wrong either. It's just sort of what makes sense for you as a business. Yeah. I'm just picturing Michael Scott trying to, you know, Use some kind of WYSIWYG tool to build out dundermifflin.com. I don't know. I wouldn't want to answer his emails. Go into it too, right? Where they're 
they're talking about you know how much how much money they don't have to spend on tools but yet they're spending three times that on a developer salary to fix it you know or vice versa right where they're spending too much on a tool they don't actually need that doesn't save their developers any time and so you know where that waste happens is also really interesting yep all right have we beat this horse to death or is there anything else to talk about the poor horse <laughs> i think i think we've covered it there's there's no easy answer, unfortunately. If if we could give you a, yeah. a single bullet a solution here, I think we would, but it's it's complicated. I think like, the uh, answer is it depends. Yes, like the answer <laughs> guys, we could have saved you all <laughs> almost an hour of listening to us ramble. <laughs> it depends. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think there's some really solid advice in here, though, as far as how do I evaluate this? When does it matter? And you know, how do we approach making the the right decision? And yeah. one other thing I just want to throw in is that as your company grows or changes, the right decision may change, right? So you may rate, make the right decision for the time you're in and then find as your company grows or changes, okay, now we kind of need the support we get from a paid option or now we kind of have enough people with the right kind of expertise to support something on our own or whatever. Yeah, definitely. It, I, I think the the biggest message that I want to help me from the past understand is some some issues that seem like super easy are actually really really complicated and have a lot of of unexpected complexity that if you just sat down and really thought about it you you might be able to uncover <laughs> or listen to a podcast <laughs> yeah and i think i would just end with saying at least if you are having some of the issues we discussed so you are running into problems with making UI components work together, or there are certain hard problems that you're struggling to solve on your own, just at least consider that there are paid options out there and don't immediately exclude them just because they cost money. And But absolutely hold premium solutions to even really a higher standard than you might for the free ones that you find. So try them out, but run them through your evaluation process. Try building something Make sure they actually work for you. They meet your performance requirements and whatnot as well. Yeah. And it's okay to admit that you hate it and that (laughs) you're emotionally not happy about the thought of of having to admit you need help, but just, you know, suck it up and play around with it in private. Don't tell anybody you need help (laughs) until you (laughs) prove that it's actually helpful. It'll be our secret. (laughs) Yeah. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. I think it's time to do picks. Charles Woods, what do you got? Picks wise. So I think I picked this several weeks ago when I saw that it came out, but I hadn't been able to watch it yet. I started watching the, I think it's the fourth season of The Expanse. Funny enough, I was sitting there watching it with my father-in-law who hadn't watched any of it. And so I'm trying to explain to him what's going on. So this person's... And this person... <laughs> anyway, it's it's a terrific series. I highly recommend you go and uh, watch it from the beginning. It originally started out on Sci-Fi and then Amazon Prime picked it up when Sci-Fi canceled it. So I'm sure money changed hands. But anyway, yeah, they're terrific. And the budget, I think, went way up because the third season seemed to have a little bit more going for it. but. You know, where do you the watch plot it? and the characters are awesome. Where, where can you see it? Amazon Prime. So if you've got an Amazon Prime subscription, then yeah, you can go watch it for free. Really, really like that. I finished The Man in the High Castle, 
And as far as endings go, I'd give it a seven, meaning that I liked it, but I don't know. I I felt like there were some things that they didn't quite wrap up, but for the most part, it was pretty good. So yeah. And I really did enjoy watching the series as I went through it. So the the journey was great. The destination was interesting. And I felt like they didn't quite explain things to my satisfaction in a couple of ways. Of course, now I kind of want to go read the books and I have for The Expanse. The books are better on The Expanse. So I'm going to pick all of those. And yeah, I think that's all I've got this week. All right, cool. Oh, well, one more thing. I am going to be at React Amsterdam. So if you are going to be at that conference, I would love to meet you. So just come find me wherever they put me. And yeah, so there's that too. Sweet. I'll go next. So I think this is something that I, I don't think I've mentioned before. It's a it's kind of a little tool that I built to to scratch my own itch. There's a, a psychological framework that I'm learning about. It's called objective personality, but I I built a tool for it called Opedex, O-P-D-E-X dot app. It's a little kind of calculator that lets you do the math and it shows you like a, a visualization of the of the end result of like things that describe a an individual personality using this this kind of personality code. Two things about it I think are are relevant. One is that to focus more on on building up the skills like Code Sandbox and GitHub and now.sh and all these things so that when you do have an idea of of something that you want to build just to scratch your own itch, you have the skills to just sit down and and in an hour knock something out that you can that's out, out in the world, that's real. And then just tinker with it. Whenever you have an hour, just go fix a bug or add a feature. And, and after a while, you know, compound interest, it can result in something that people actually use. Like there are a bunch of people that are using this tool kind of in the personality community that I didn't expect because I just built it for myself and just like, ah, here's a link to it, whatever. And that's kind of open source in general has gotten so much easier because of the, the tooling that we have and the ability to share and, and put things out there, even in communities that aren't tech-related. And now I'm going to bring it over to TJ. You got any picks? Yeah, so it's interesting, the open source, the basically what you brought up there. I built a little checklist app for Pokemon Go, which is a game that I like and, and <laughs> nice. play. And, awesome. But it's, it's funny because I built it actually just to help. Like I was using it to compare React and Angular and just doing some tinkering. But it's funny because I put it out there never like marketed it or anything, but I turned on analytics for it a while ago and found that there were like thousands of users oh, wow. using this, <laughs> this thing. Nice. Like I have no idea how people even found this, right? But it's, it's funny, the world is a big place and it's amazing how people can randomly stumble upon something you do. And it's, it's the exact same situation you said where I just spend like an hour here or there just like tinkering for my own benefit, but some other people found use for it. So it's really cool. My other picks, I so I'm I'm typically way behind the time. So I just watched Stranger Things on Netflix. So I know I'm like I think three years behind at this point. But if you are also like me and you miss pop culture references by a few years, <laughs> same. It's, it's a very good show. It's excellent. Like I got addicted to it, and we ended up marathoning through all of it. So highly recommended. And I think they're coming out with a fourth season soon too. So if you want to be up to date for when that comes out. That's on Netflix and it's excellent. And I think the other thing I'll pick is uh, I'm a big podcast fan. And one I found recently that I like is How Did This Get Made? It's a oh, show that talks about movies and it basically picks out movies that are 
silly or crazy in some sense. And then they just talk about it for an hour or two. And it's, it's just hilarious. You don't need to watch the movies to be able to follow along. It's just a lot of fun. So I think those are my picks. Well, that's awesome. Well, I think nice. that's about wraps it up for React Roundup of the, the week. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Awesome. Max out, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.